When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 24th, 2023, and friends, we were two outs away from having a happy podcast today. We were almost there, but as my 10th grade chemistry teacher, Mr. Koziana, always said anytime someone tried to get partial credit because they almost got an answer, Almost only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and nuclear missiles. We didn't have any of those on Tuesday night. So instead, we got Aaron Judge hitting a tying home run off of Felix Bautista as he was trying to protect a one-run lead in the ninth inning in Yankee Stadium. On Masson, Jim Palmer was pleading, absolutely begging Felix Bautista to not let Aaron Judge speed up the bat by throwing an off-speed pitch in the strike zone. He was practically chanting, strike to ball, strike to ball. Instead, Bautista threw a splitter. It hung up in the strike zone. It was really just, honestly, the worst pitch probably you could throw in terms of just where you were leaving it hanging and who you were leaving it hanging to. No doubt home run. There was no question. If you were watching it on TV, as soon as you saw where that pitch was going, you knew Judge wasn't going to miss. He didn't miss, of course. Judge hit 62 home runs last year. I believe that was home run number 14 so far this year. So, you know, you... uh you That was what they got, you know, you wanted Felix Bautista pitching in the ninth inning uh, against the top of the Yankees order. That was what happened. He just wasn't up to the uh, wasn't up to the task on Tuesday night. Of course, the Orioles had their chances in the 10th inning, but they completely failed to advance their Manfred Mann or zombie runner or whatever you want to call him. And then in the bottom of the inning, Brian Baker could not get a strikeout. First, he allowed a ground ball out to advance the runner to third. And then rookie Anthony Volpe hit a walk-off sacrifice fly. So it was really frustrating because the Tampa Bay Rays were absolutely destroyed by the Toronto Blue Jays on Tuesday night, losing a game 20-1. to It was like they were trying to give back their run differential advantage all in one game. So the Orioles, they had a chance to gain a game on the Rays. They would have been only two games back in the division if they had managed to close out the Yankees in the ninth inning or find some magic in the 10th inning or whatever. It didn't happen. So there's still three games back, still plenty within striking distance. But man, that was annoying. Felix Bautista, I, I, I continue to be concerned about him pretty much every game because he doesn't really look like the good version of Felix Bautista that we saw last year in pretty much any of the games in which he's pitched. I believe he has only gone five games this year where he did not allow any batters to reach base. So although he has a better ERA so far this year than last year with a 1.50, even after blowing the game in the ninth inning here on Tuesday, uh, he had a 2.19 ERA last season. However, he does have a substantially worse whip 
Last year, he had a 0.93 whip, and this year, he's got a 1.26 ERA uh, whip, excuse me, mostly because he's issuing a lot of walks. Now, the walks were not his problem on Tuesday night. It was just the hanging splitter to Aaron Judge. And, you know, actually, batters were only hitting 122 off of Bautista's splitter, according to StatCast, before he pitched in Tuesday game. So, you know, that's pretty good, right? 12% of the time is all that it's going for a hit. That's You're doing pretty well as a pitcher. That's good. Although, notably, that is also worse than last year for the splitter for Felix Bautista when he only had batters hitting a .087 off of his splitter. So, I, I guess for me, this was always one of the potential danger areas for the Orioles going into the 2023 season. They were relying on a number of relievers who were very, very good last year. And if they were only a slightly bit less good while still being very good in 2023, that is going to cost the Orioles some games. And, you know, I think we saw exactly that on Tuesday night. It only took one mistake for Bautista against the, you know, otherworldly home run hitter Aaron Judge and, That was a loss that maybe the Orioles could have won. That's the way it goes. So the Orioles are now 31 and 17 on the 2023 season. That is still a pace to win 105 games over the full season. I'm continuing to take the under on that. Of course, it would be insane if the Orioles won 105 games. I think probably they are going to be due to lose a few more games that are kind of annoying ones uh, like this. You you might even say it's a demonstration of their luck needing to even out a little bit in the Pythagorean win-loss expectation as the Orioles came into the Tuesday game at plus four wins over their expected win-loss record based on their runs scored and runs allowed. So they were due to have some stupid stuff happen, as in Felix Bautista hanging a splitter to Aaron Judge with a one-run lead and two outs to get left in Yankee Stadium. So one run loss means the Orioles are now plus three wins on luck. Well, okay, they're still uh, still maybe having an advantage uh, over their expected win-loss record, but you know what? A team can do that. It happened memorably with the 2012 Orioles, who finished the season at plus 11 wins worth of good luck compared to their expected win-loss record of 82-80 and 80 that year. The Orioles of 2012 won 93 games. So Pythagoras did not make a very good prediction, or the people invoking Pythagoras's name did not make a very good prediction about the 2012 Orioles. I, I, we're going to have to hope that the 2023 Orioles, I guess, are in the same category. For now, plus three. Expected win-loss record currently of 28-20. and 20. So there's still two more games to go in the series. I I said on this podcast, I hope that the Orioles just don't get swept in either this series or the Rangers series. It would have been a lot nicer if they had gotten the don't get swept out of the way on Tuesday. That's not how it worked out. So the next two Yankees starting pitchers, Nestor Cortez Jr. and Clark Schmidt, they have struggled in 2023. So it's now even more imperative that the team takes advantage of that after squandering the opener. Because, by the way, I didn't even get into this, but... The Orioles, another reason it's a shame that they lost the game is that Yenier Cano pitched two innings in the game and Bautista pitching the ninth. They're probably not going to be available Wednesday and maybe even Thursday, so that could ripple later into the series. And also frustrating because the Orioles did well against Garrett Cole, who 
was looking like a Cy Young contender heading into the game. A 5-0 record, 2.01 ERA for the season, four home runs allowed in 62 and two-thirds innings before pitching against the Orioles on Tuesday night. The Orioles got him for five runs. They hit two home runs off of him. They only struck out twice, which was still enough for him to hit the uh, 2,000 strikeout milestone in his career. Now the third fastest pitcher to do that, so good for Garrett Cole, although he was no part of why the Yankees ended up winning on Tuesday night. Cole does, however, remain undefeated in part because Kyle Bradish, the Orioles starting pitcher, entered Tuesday's game with a 7.91 ERA in 15 starts against AL East teams. He has yet to be the winning pitcher in a game in which the Orioles, uh, he pitched against the AL East team. And unfortunately, that continues after Tuesday night. Bradish had four good innings, and then he pretty much collapsed completely in the fifth ultimately allowing four runs in five innings overall. That is not going to cut the mustard if he cannot do something to change his fortunes against AL East teams because even in the era of less unbalanced schedules than there used to be, you can't have a guy in the rotation who completely sucks against the AL East. It's just, it's not not going to do it. So, okay, the Orioles offense needs to do uh, do as well or better, really, against Cortez and Schmidt. And also, we're going to need some better starting pitching from those guys. Tyler Wells pitching on Wednesday, going at least six innings, would really be a help. And really, the same is true for Kyle Gibson going on Thursday against the Yankees. Can those guys do well against the Yankees' offense? That's that's really going to be the key. Um, I hope that at least one of them can do well. I'm not super confident that they will both do well but uh, if one of them can do it and the Orioles can just avoid getting swept on the road against the Yankees, I think I think that's enough that we could be happy with that outcome. So I guess we'll see. We'll see if he's good enough. Either one of them is good enough to do it. Gibson, he's got a 4.27 ERA on the season. Could easily see that uh, inflating because the Yankees just blast, you know, uh, blast him. That's something he's easily could be prone to do. Homer-prone Tyler Wells could also be a problem. He's given up 10 home runs in 52 innings. Guess who hits a lot of home runs? Aaron Judge, yeah. Uh, Also, so does Anthony Rizzo, who's hit 11 home runs so far this season, more than anybody on the Orioles. So, you know, that's two big home run threats that I hope Tyler Wells is going to be, I guess, the equal to at least uh, if he gives up home runs to those guys, minimizing the other damage he gives up. I don't know. We will see what happens about that as this Yankee series goes along. You can email me at camdencastpod at gmail.com if you have a take you want to share. If it's a good take, I might read it on the air. Or if you've got a question for a future episode, you can email me that too, and I will talk about your topic on the episode after I get the email. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so I tell you what, let's talk about something happier. Jackson Holiday, holy freaking crap, man. That guy is amazing. He's the talk of Birdland right now, and for good reason. Here is one amazing Jackson Holiday fact. He has a 35-game on-base streak across two levels so far this season. Every game he has played, he has reached base uh, between Delmarva and Aberdeen. That is just amazing. 
On Tuesday, he went one for two. He drew two walks, so he's now got a 22-game batting line with the Aberdeen Ironbirds of a 397 average with a 515 on-base percentage. 515 on-base and a 718 slugging percentage. It's almost unbelievable. I don't know how he's doing it. I've, you know, the, the thing we hear about Aberdeen is, oh, it's a tough hitting environment, whatever, but Jackson Holiday is just like immune to that, or at least he has been through his first 22 games there. In The Athletic this week, Dan Connolly uh, wrote that the Orioles seem to prefer to have their prospects getting at least 200 plate appearances at every level. Holiday is at about 100 for Aberdeen so far, but the Orioles have already broken that if it's a rule or whatever you want to call it. They've already broken it once for Jackson Holiday because he only made 122 plate appearances at the low age on Marvel level before they promoted him up to Aberdeen. So I think pretty much if he plays and hits as often as he does for the remainder of this week for Aberdeen, he'd be right about the same number of plate appearances at high A. Uh, by the end of Memorial Day weekend. So I say, get this guy to Bowie as soon as Memorial Day weekend is over. See what happens from there. Bowie does not have a shortstop who we need to worry about being displaced. Uh, No offense to Anthony Servideo, who has been playing shortstop for Bowie uh, since their season opening shortstop, Gilbert Lara, who's not a name we really need to know on the Orioles prospect list, got promoted to Norfolk and now is on the injured list there. So uh, Cesar Prieto has played a little bit of shortstop for Bowie as well, but his primary position is second base. So there's really nothing, there's nothing at all that's stopping Jackson Holiday from getting promoted to Bowie other than that Michael Elias just hasn't decided to do it yet. He is a certainly a smarter man at running baseball teams than me, but my goodness, I don't know how much more he needs to see because Jackson Holiday is just better than the opposition he's going up against, and I don't know how he's going to learn anything when he's just it just it's amazing a 515 on base percentage, 397 batting average after 22 games. It's it's unbelievable. So okay. So that's not even our prospect of the episode. We are much lower on the uh, the Camden Chat Top 20 Orioles prospect composite list. If you would like to look and spoil yourself on who's to come, today we're talking about the tied for number 18, Drew Rahm, left-handed pitcher. The Orioles drafted him in the fourth round of the 2018 draft out of a Kentucky high school. He received a slight over-slot uh, signing bonus, about a couple thousand, hundred thousand more than the slot value at that time. So notably, the 2018 draft was the final draft of the Dan Duquette regime. And really, Drew Rahm is kind of the final Dan Duquette uh, acquired prospect in the system who has who's 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 still got some prospect stock of some kind and has yet to make a major league debut. Uh, Rom, we did see for two days on the Orioles roster earlier this year, but they did not end up having him pitch. He was really just for uh, long relief insurance for a couple of days there, and the starting rotation in those two games did well enough to not end up needing Rom. So he's still waiting for that debut. Oh, by the way, another fourth round pitcher in the 2018 draft was current Oriole and Tuesday starting pitcher Kyle Bradish. So, you know, it's that, that would be interesting, I guess, in a completely meaningless way if uh, the Orioles end up having two guys from that rotation in the same, uh, two guys from that draft round in the same starting rotation. Um, 
at, at the moment, after watching Brad's pitch on Tuesday night, I'm not the most optimistic that he's going to continue to be in the rotation by the time Rom maybe cracks the rotation, but you know, whatever. Rom, he was kind of an unheralded pick uh, relative to, you know, look at the, the the pre-draft prospect rankings, whatever. Although he was not just entirely plucked from obscurity. I remember I was watching the draft live stream on day two of the draft in 2018. And uh, Jim Callis, who is frequently on those draft live streams, did immediately recognize the name Drew Rom and called him a lefty with, quote, a chance for three interesting pitches, end quote, which, you know what? That is better than nothing for a fourth-round pick. Uh, So Rom, he came back after the 2020 no-minor league season due to COVID interruption. He had a 10 strikeouts per nine innings and 2.2 walks per nine innings between Aberdeen and Bowie in the 2021 season. Last year, he had even more strikeouts, but he also saw a walk rate increase and a mid-four ERA as he split time between Bowie and and at the end of the season, a little bit in AAA Norfolk. So Rom right now ranks as the number 19 uh, prospect in the Orioles system. Uh, he Their scouting report on him says, quote, Rom relies on deception more than elite stuff, end quote. Notably, he only throws about 92 miles per hour at a maximum for his fastball. So that's, even for a left-handed pitcher, that's, uh, that's less than you want to see, uh, because, you know, the, the slower your fastball is, the more time a batter has to see it, react to it and, you know, hit it really hard. So that means that Rom relies on other traits to, uh, to succeed with a less than fast fastball. And that includes from that MLB pipeline scouting report, quote, using his six foot two inch frame to hide the ball well and a three quarters arm slot long stride, and crossfire finish to create good extension. Rom's ceiling looks as high as his command will take it. End quote. So his 2023 results so far, he's got a similar walk rate to last year, which I think is a little bit higher than uh, you are going to want to see for a guy who's going to make it or not make it because of his command. He has issued 15 walks in 39.2 innings so far. So I, that that's... That's not a bad number for any starting pitcher, but for a starting pitcher who needs to rely on the command, I do think that is maybe problematic. He's had a slight decrease in his strikeouts per nine innings, although he is still above a batter per inning. He's gone down from that 10.8 last season to 9.5 this season while facing exclusively AAA competition. And and one good thing going in his favor is he's only allowed two home runs in 39 and two-thirds innings for the Norfolk Tides. So if that means he's maybe keeping the ball on the ground, that's A+. plus. As for a future role for Drew Rahm, I think the best case scenario is he's going to end up in the back end of the rotation. Uh, my fear, I guess, for him is that as a lefty with below average velocity, he could end up going in the direction of recent lefty with below average velocity, Alex Wells. Rom at least is a bit above Wells's velocity, uh, velocity in that Rom can actually throw it over 90 miles per hour, which Wells could not really do. But he is still going to be reliant on command, and MLB hitters might just wait out the pitches that are right on the borderline uh, that maybe minor league batters either swing at uh, and miss, or they swing at and put in play with suboptimal contact. So. Again, Rom, he hasn't made his debut yet. I guess 
The question of whether he can get into a 2023 rotation spot depends on whether a spot opens up at all, either due to injury or ineffectiveness. I I do still believe, as I mentioned, I think uh, Bradish could find himself losing a spot if he has more games like he did on Tuesday night. I think that Dean Kramer, although he's on a good run lately, could end up going in a direction where the Orioles want to banish him from the rotation. Much as it pains me to say, Grayson Rodriguez is not immune from losing his spot. However, even if one of these guys gets banished from the major league rotation, I still think there's probably lefties who are going to start out ahead of Rom. Now, that's contingent on John Means getting healthy. I think he's certainly first in line once he looks like he's back from his uh, his Tommy John surgery, which he's supposed to start pitching in extended spring training, I believe, uh, today. And that that doesn't even count as your rehab yet because those aren't organized games. That's just extended spring training is kind of a weird limbo where you're not even in a minor league team. You're just still in Sarasota doing whatever. So official rehab assignment still to come. He's probably going to pitch a few times in extended spring before maybe getting a rehab, whatever. Um, of course, the Orioles traded for fellow lefty Cole Irvin over the offseason. I think if he gets right, he's maybe ahead of Rom. And then there's D.O. Hall, who's, uh, you know what, whatever. Um, Hall honestly stunk last night. He gave up six earned runs, five hits, two walks, two home runs in only one and two-thirds innings for Norfolk while throwing 47 pitches. So, okay, and he's on his intentional deload whatever thing, but, you know, that's still a couple guys who I think are ahead of Rom. Maybe he's more um, of a long relief role. Of course, the Orioles already had him on the roster for a couple days, thinking maybe they would need him. I think that Rom is pitching better than the other 40-man long relief options who are currently uh, available on the roster. That's Noah DeNoyer, Spencer Watkins, and Bruce Zimmerman. I would rather see Drew Rom than any one of those guys presently. I guess we'll see when the Orioles decide that they have a need for a long reliever at a time where Rom hasn't pitched for a few days and is fresh and rested and ready to come up, and then maybe he'll get into a game. So I don't know. I... I, uh, I, I like, I am always fond of the soft tossing lefty guys. So I hope that Rom can do better than Wells. Also being the nerd that I am, I think it would be fun to have a player named Rom on the Orioles because then I could make all kinds of Star Trek Deep Space Nine references after the Ferengi character on that show, Rom, brother of Quark, the barkeep. Uh, but you know, the fact that I would like to make Star Trek Deep Space Nine references has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on whether Drew Rom eventually makes it uh, and succeeds on the Orioles. So, you know, good luck, Drew. It would be fun to make Rom jokes. All right, so that's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review, please. And you can also tell an Orioles fan you know in your life about the show. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Friday, hopefully with at least one Orioles win to talk about by then. Otherwise, I'm going to be grumpy again and probably not even be able to throw in another uh, happy-inducing thing like with Jackson Holiday on this episode. Anyway, in between now and then, you can leave a comment on Camden Chat, tweet at me at Camden Chat on Twitter, Good Morning Birdland is a Camden cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. 
Until next time, go O's.